Good morning. Ooh. It's deceptively sunny. It always it's one of those when it's winter and it's really sunny, you think it's gonna be warm. And then you're disappointed. Because it's cold. But hey, we'll be all right. Um doing well with it, sweatering up, wearing two pairs of socks. I'm getting there. I uh I don't know. I used to never get cold, and now I'm never warm. I, I don't know what has happened in my uh, old age, in my in my midlife. Is this my midlife crisis? I'm just cold all the time. I hope that's all it is. I can deal with that then. Hey, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a, a pretty familiar passage for a lot of us. I've entitled this, It's Not As Romantic As You Think. Uh, this is one of those ones that we, we see a lot about it, but let's... Uh, Let's go ahead and just dive right into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and let's hear the word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you so much. Um, We thank you so much for the time we have today to be in your words, the time today we have to be hearing your scripture, to to see the teaching about the way of love here. Father, I pray that as we we enter into this time of worship where we where we hear and respond to your word, that you would move in our lives, that you would convict us, you would challenge us, you would draw us closer to you. Father, I ask you would just put me aside and allow these words to be of you, and that you may be glorified and honored today in the proclamation of your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is such an incredibly familiar passage. Right? I think about this passage and, and possibly Luke chapter 2, right? That, that these two passages are probably as well known among non believers as John 3.16 is, right? That, that this, is, this is one of those ones you, you hear it all the time, right? We, we get Luke chapter 2 every year from Linus, 
We're, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna begrudge him that. He's doing what he's supposed to do, right? We get John 3.16 held up at all the, all the sports arenas somewhere along the line. Somebody's got their, their sign somewhere doing that or painted it on their chest or whatever way they've done it. But here we get this. And it's, it's so incredibly like um, familiar that, that people quote from this passage and they don't even realize they're always quoting scripture when they do it, right? This is, this is, a, this is the wedding passage. This is it. I cannot think of a wedding I've ever been to, a wedding I've ever officiated that didn't have 1 Corinthians 13 or, or at least some part of it read during the ceremony, right? Now, there is a problem with this kind of familiarity, though. And this particular type of familiarity with this particular passage means that we're getting familiar with it in a manner that is out of context, right? To really appreciate the fullness of what is taught here, we must look at this passage within the context of all of 1 Corinthians, right? The Apostle Paul has just taught us on on being unified and and not showing favoritism or self-centeredness in the practice of the Lord's Supper. I was back in chapter 11, right? Then in chapter 12, he taught us the importance of, of each spiritual gift and how it is designed for the benefit of others rather than the benefit of the one who possesses that spiritual gift. And he's just reminded the church of the importance of the interdependence, right? The, the connectedness of each member to one another. And, and just like the interdependence and the connectedness of each part of the human body to one another, right? And then what we're going to see is in, in chapter 14, Paul's going to return to this idea of spiritual gifts. And he's going to give directions for orderly worship. Right? So everything from like the end of chapter 11 all the way through to the end of chapter 14 is this, this concept of how you use your gifts to glorify and honor God and how there's unity in that diversity of those spiritual gifts. So within the context, it would make very little sense for the Holy Spirit to lead Paul to write about weddings and romantic love while he's addressing unity within the local body of the local church. Chapter 13 is not about that. 1 Corinthians 13 is, is all about loving one another within the local church body. And if it wasn't about loving one another within the local church body, the Holy Spirit would have led Paul to put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when he's talking about husbands and wives and marriage. Not here. This is about what love through the Holy Spirit looks like within the context of a body of believers seeking God's glory above all else. And this is a love that reflects what Jesus taught us in John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus has, has gathered up all the apostles. He's, he's got them together and he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is it. See, love Love is the distinguishing mark of Jesus' disciples. Love is what separates Christians from non-Christians. Love is what makes the followers of Christ look different to the rest of the world. We know the Old Testament teaches us to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Right? We're to take all of the power that we have within us, all that we can muster, And we are to love the Lord that way. And we know that from the Old Testament, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
But the beautiful thing is, is, as we look at this, it seems like, well, this feels like Jesus isn't teaching anything. Well, Jesus does something new here, is that he broadens that love. He broadens those teachings of the Old Testament. He deepens and transforms that basic teaching of love. In Jesus, we learn that love is, much, is a much, much deeper sacrifice than we once realized. In Jesus, we learn that our enemies are also our neighbors. And we are to love them as we would love ourselves. See, in, in Jesus, there is a newness in the old commandment. And that newness is loving one another the way that Jesus loves his disciples. That newness implies that love is willing to lay down one's life for another. As Paul is, is under the Holy Spirit's leading and the directing of the Holy Spirit, he's pinning this down. This is the love that he's referring to. This is the love he's referencing. This is the love that Paul is talking about when he says in 1231, and I will show you a still more excellent way. See, see, all of these spiritual gifts that, that the Corinthian church had been bragging about possessing are completely useless without love. See, love is supreme to any of the spiritual gifts because love lasts forever. And in verse 1, Paul begins to, to address specifically speaking in tongues first. Most likely because it is the gift first mentioned, um, because of the lack of love at which the Corinthians are using it, right? There's, there's also been maybe a little bit of overemphasis on tongues by the Corinthians, and that led to a neglect of the other gifts of the Spirit. And this overemphasis with the lack of love has, has led the church to look like a toddler playing with pots and pans in the kitchen, right? They're happy, they're content. They're making a lot of noise, but they're doing nothing productive. Right? The same holds true for those who, who prophesy and teach. Even if someone sacrifices all they have, including their own lives, but they do not have love, they gain nothing. See, one of the, one of the falsehoods that we often fall victim to in this world is, is that we see true love in people's actions, right? We say that, oh, you'll know you'll, they'll love you by their actions. Or look at all that love. They, they're just showing love everywhere. Hmm. Love really cannot be measured by actions alone. The motives must be assessed as well to determine if such actions are truly loving. Lee and I like to watch a lot of cop dramas. It's just become our thing. Um, and, and there was recently in an episode of Blue Bloods that we watched um, where... Um, oh, I've lost his name. The, the assistant DA's detective, her personal detective in the show, is, is talking about a cousin of his who he thinks has turned the corner 
because he spent all this time with grandma just after she passed or just before she passed away and just after she passed away taking care of grandma and so they think the guy's turned a corner and he's got some sort of connections to the mob and and so they they put a wire on him and send him out to the to talk to a mob boss about a hit that's about to happen and the guy is talking to him and he says says something about yeah i heard how you stole your grandmother blind you were bragging about it to me and the boys in the pool hall the other day or something along those lines and it looked like love the actions looked like love but the motive was greed and self-centeredness the motives must be assessed as well to determine if the actions are truly loving And that's important for us to understand. Paul addresses this about himself in chapter 4, right? In verses 4 and 5, he says he knows of nothing he has done wrong. He doesn't know if his his motives are 100% pure, though, because he says about himself, he says, God will judge me deeper than I can judge myself and more than I can can judge myself. Now, that's the paraphrase of that. But that's what he's getting at, that, that our motives are important. And then we get to this next section, right? This is, this is where we are, the, the verses 4 through 7. These are the, the most familiar parts of this passage. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And when I put it down in my head, I always hear that silly song at every wedding. There is love. You know, it comes out every time I read this passage. There's, there's always a song that seems to follow that about love in a wedding. And it's stuck there in my head. But that's not what he's talking about here. Right? This is, this is that passage we read at the weddings. This is the passage. Sometimes some pastors have you insert your name wherever you see the word. Right? The word love. Michael is patient and kind. Mike, they, they have you do that thing. I'm, I am, right? And then they always ask you that question. Now, now that you've done that, is it true? <laughs> what, are, what are the areas you need to work on, right? I'm not going to do that here. Because as I heard Chris say back, the answer to those questions is no, it's not true. And I need the Holy Spirit to bring me those characteristics. Right? I read this passage, and and here's the thing I see about it. I I see a small parallel between it and Galatians 5, verses 22 and 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The love here that, that Paul is teaching about only comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. It doesn't come any other way. This isn't some sort of, some sort of love exercise where you can go out and, and, and find a love gym and, and build up your love muscles and make things work better. That's not what's going on. This is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, working on people's lives, changing their lives, making them love in the manner that God loved them first. That's what's happening. And Paul's been addressing the Corinthian church about, about how they've been using these gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? And they, he's seen that there's been this lovelessness in them. 
that they have been using the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a very self-centered, self-glorifying, self-edifying manner. And now he's showing them a more excellent way in putting aside self and allowing the love that the Holy Spirit has to produce in them the fruits. And he's asking the same of us. Right? When we put aside self and we allow the Holy Spirit to, to produce in us these good fruits. And he just gets into it, right? Love is patient and kind. This, this kind of, of patience and kindness is expressed towards people rather than our circumstances. It, it shows that we're not short-tempered towards other people. This is an attribute of God that is communicated to us. This is, this is one of those communicable attributes of God. Right? And this, is, this, is, this, this attribute of God shows love's eloquent self-restraint. Love reacts with goodness towards those who treat you badly. This patience and this kindness is for the service and for the benefit of others even those who are not within the body of Christ, those who need to hear the gospel. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. This is the love that comes from the Spirit that is, that is not displeased with other people's successes. This kind of love does not allow pride to come in, to puff you up, and to make you a windbag. I, I love that, that, that in one of the commentaries I was looking at, they actually use that phrase that that's, that's maybe a better way of, of describing or a better way of translating what Paul's talking about when he talks about it. Love does not boast. Love does not make you a windbag to talk about yourself all the time. Love will not dishonor or disgrace someone. Love avoids this, this whole range of unseemliness. Love from the Spirit is concerned with giving of itself rather than asserting itself. Right? It, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. So as we seek the love, or we seek to love the way Christ loved, as we ask the Spirit to grant us that kind of love, we will see our self-centered nature melt away. Right? Our crankiness, our irritability will not be visible. Now, there are still going to be people who are going to get on your nerves. That's just going to happen. There are going to be people who will annoy you and they will push every last button. There will be people who will not only push that last button, they may lean their elbow onto it. Right? That, that's how that is. Love from the Spirit doesn't stop that from happening. Sorry. Golly gee, I wish it did. Man, all right. I wish it did stop it from happening, but it doesn't stop that from happening. What love from the Holy Spirit does do, though, is it prevents you from being provoked by it. It manifests itself as self-control of your anger and of your bad moods. There is a place for anger. There is biblically a place for anger. There's nothing wrong with that but biblically placed anger happens in love 
And that biblically placed anger is love is passionate about an opposition to evil, not a selfish desire for your own rights. He continues, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices in truth's joy. So love rejoices in truth's joy. Now, it's, gonna, it's not going to even concern itself with the wrongdoing. It's going to rejoice in the truth's joy. And there's no room for rejoicing when truth is denied. See, love rejoices in the truth of God and the truth of the gospel. Love rejoices knowing that the truth is already victorious in the work that Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Love rejoices knowing that we have a need for a Savior and that need has already been met in the person of Jesus Christ, God in human flesh. Now, now here's the thing that's neat to look at. As we read through verses 4 through 6 here, what we see is the opposite of love is not hate. Think about that a moment here. The opposite of love, as Paul is describing it to us, is not hate. The opposite of love is pride and selfishness. Because what do pride and selfishness do? Pride and selfishness generate arrogance. They generate boasting. They generate seeking your own way and putting yourself above others. Pride and selfishness cause us to be irritable, and pride and selfishness cause us to be resentful. Pride and selfishness is the root of all the evils within the Corinthian church. And if we're really, really honest here, pride and selfishness is the root of the majority of the problems in the modern church as we see it and we know it. See, our sinful nature always has us prioritize self over others every time. Our sinful nature will have us prioritize self over others in every way we can. Our sinful nature will have us prioritize self over others for every instance. And for us to truly love the way we see love in 1 Corinthians 13 written out, you have to die to yourself so that Christ may live within you. He continues on. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things now notice something here look at how believes and hopes are sandwiched between bears and endures right, paul 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 has been led by the spirit to do that probably pretty purposefully right this points out to us that it's still about loving people it's still about believing in people it's still about hoping in people it's still about enduring people that we're not necessarily showing our love and our faith and our hope toward God here. Now, we will be doing that, that's not, but that's not the, the initial spot, that as we show our love and our faith and our hope in God, then we will also be able to have hope and belief in people. So, so we'll, while we may think that we have to bear with God or we may think that we have to endure God, right? that's not really the case. It is really God who bears with us and endures our foolishness and our sinfulness. Love believes the best in others, right? And it hopes the best for them. 
And that's what Paul's getting at here as he's writing this to us. This is what the Word of God is telling us to do. This doesn't mean that love is, is gullible, right? But what happens is that really love, love founded and grounded in Christ Jesus, that kind of love doesn't automatically assume the worst. It's not a gloom and doom situation, right? Our, our love maintains and it retains it's faith, right? Love will see through the false pretenses, but love will give the benefit of the doubt. And then in verse 8, he says, love never ends. This, this is why our love is, is supreme here. This is why over and above all of the other spiritual gifts, all the other fruits of the Spirit, love is supreme. The other gifts will cease to exist. But as God is love and God is eternal, love is also eternal. All right? These other gifts will stop because when we are before God, there will be no reason for the other gifts. The purpose of the spiritual gifts, as Paul has listed them out and talked about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is that they are to edify the church and to proclaim the gospel to the lost. When the redeemed of God are with him for eternity, the church will be at its most edified. And the work of the gospel will be complete. Now this is, this is part of the mystery of God. right? That, that as he says these things, this is, this is part of that mystery, that we don't always understand all of this. Not everything has been revealed to us. We are in this growing and waiting phase. And Paul talks about that, right? For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. He, this is that mystery. We understand now what we do, but we only understand it dimly. Like, like how we kind of understand riddles, but still maybe have questions about them. When he says, now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have fully, or I have been fully known. Here on earth, our, our knowledge of God is, is an always growing. It's an always developing knowledge. But his knowledge of us does not need to grow and it does not need to develop. He knew us before we were even conceived. Fully knew us. One day we will fully know God. Everything we have, this side of eternity, is partial. It is incomplete. But when Jesus returns for the consummation of his kingdom, all the incompleteness will be made complete. All of the partials will be made whole. And then Paul closes this section out by saying this. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. 
Faith, hope, and love are the preeminent gifts of the Spirit. And I will show you a more excellent way. So now faith, hope, and love abide, but these three, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is it. These are the preeminent gifts, not the, not the other ones. The other ones are there for, for their purpose. Right? But these three are the preeminent. But love is supreme. Love is supreme. It is love that gave the people the law so that they may turn to God in the Old Testament. It is love that sent Christ the Messiah to redeem us because we cannot fulfill the law. It is love that led Jesus to willingly take on our sin on the cross and bear the wrath of God to be our atonement. That is the ultimate love. God becoming man so that he may rescue man from his rebellion against God. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that God in his love does not wish to leave us in our sinful rebellion. That Jesus came to earth and took on human flesh, came to us and lived perfectly according to God's law, fulfilling it in every way. Jesus came to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took our sin, he takes our shame, and he takes them on the cross paying the penalty of our sin by his death. And then Jesus was raised from the dead to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to a right relationship with God. We must admit we are sinners. We have to stop trusting in ourselves. We have to place our faith and trust in Christ Jesus alone. We must ask God to forgive us, turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. When we turn to Jesus, believing in him, that love, this love that that Paul's describing in 1 Corinthians 13, that love which we have talked about today, that love comes into our lives and it makes us new. Here's the thing. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus before, I encourage you, I encourage you to do it now. I encourage you to do it today. If you want to talk more, you're just like, I'm, I'm curious. I don't know enough yet to make these kinds of decisions. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I want to know. You want to talk more about getting to know Jesus? I'd love to talk to you about that. Reach out to us. Right? Reach out to me. Reach out to Chris. Reach out, reach out to us here at Calvary Heights. If you're online listening and you're hearing this, send us an email, office at calvaryheights.org. Shoot us a comment in the little comment section below this message. Drop us a, a direct message through, through Facebook. We want to talk to you about knowing Jesus. If you're here and you really want to commit yourself to Jesus, we want to talk to you about that. If you're already a follower of Christ, remember that the greatest of these is love. And Jesus has already said to us, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let this be what distinguishes you from those who do not follow Christ. Ask God to give you a love that is supernatural in nature, that is patient and kind, not envious or boastful, not arrogant or rude. Ask God to give you a love that is not selfish, irritable, or resentful. Ask for a love that rejoices in truth, 
bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This kind of love brings him glory and shows his love to the lost and needy. And it comes only from him. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you so much for this day you've given to us. We thank you for this time we've had to be in your word. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to challenge us, convict us, speak to our hearts through your word as we mull this over. Father God, let us be a a congregation who seeks this kind of love. Let us be individuals who seek this kind of love. Remind us that the greatest of these is love, that without love, we're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Father, let that not be the case for us. Let us truly be your servants, showing your love to those around us.